Welcome to Edwards Beyond the Test, a podcast that goes behind the scenes of the flight test mission at Edwards Air Force Base. I'm Don Waldman from the 412th Test Wing Public Affairs. Our guest today is a mathematical statistician who works alongside other flight test professionals within the 812th Test Support Squadron from the 418th Combined Test Force here at Edwards. While we'll get to learn about the interesting work he is currently doing, we'll also get to hear about the amazing story of how we got to this point in life. It is my pleasure to welcome Mr. David Stetson to our podcast. David, hi. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Well, first of all, you are a mathematical statistician. Can you tell us, David, what that means to the flight test mission and what you do here at Edwards? The difference between a statistician and a mathematical statistician is statisticians generally use a bunch of tools to solve problems that are fairly well known. And the mathematical statisticians kind of take that to the next level where there's a lot of problems that we don't have, a lot of predefined tools to solve. And so we generate our own methodologies you know based on the research that's available so what we do is we actually analyze data and try to find correlations that are meaningful that we can use to actually answer questions so a lot of times when we get data we don't have overwhelming evidence you know whether something is you know improved or not you know with a test or if something has changed. And so we take the data that we have and using a lot of statistical methods, we try to determine whether or not we can def, you know, provide an answer with some kind of an error bar, you know, like engineers do. You know, we, we believe this is the answer, but there's a little bit of you know, question as to how solid that answer is because of some errors in measurement or instrumentation errors or whatever it is, or just the randomness of things Um, So we try to kind of quantify that. Well, after you analyze all that data, what do you do with it? What happens next for the mission? Well, generally we're working with data off of test plans. And so um, our piece as a statistician, my piece is just a, just part of what goes into a decision-making process. So there will be a question that they're trying to answer. And there are a lot of things that go into that. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff with, you know, the hardware, is it, is it capable of performing the way it's expected to? Um, under certain conditions, will this, you know, perform the way they want it to? That, you know, does it have military utility? There's a lot of different kinds of data that go into a final answer. But the, the idea is that with, with the data analysis that I do, the engineers are also analyzing the data and they, they come up with an answer based on just straight engineering. And I try to quantify any sort of errors and risks associated with making decisions on you know, using that data. So it's a piece of the data that goes to the, to the, the powers that be that decide, you know, are we going to accept this or does this work properly? Or, you know, so it's a piece of the puzzle of how the decisions get made for, you know, whether um, a test is successful or whether something is going to work properly, basically. So maybe it would help us to better understand if you could mention some of the airframes or programs you've worked with as a mathematical statistician so we could hear how it is applied to something we're familiar with. Sure. So um, one of the things that I'm working on right now with the 418th Squadron is they they work with a lot of the aerial refueling. And... Um, so with the aerial refueling, there's there's a lot of question, you know, so 
when when you fly these missions, there's a receiver aircraft that's going to receive fuel, and there's the tanker that's going to provide the fuel. And so they want to make sure this is safe. I mean, it, it, this is kind of a dangerous thing connecting two airplanes, you know, in flight and transferring fuel between them. So they have to make sure that all the pressures are within safe ranges, that there isn't too much vibration in the airframes, that, you know, everything is just working properly. And so a lot of this is with like fuel pressures is the fuel pressures can fluctuate pretty wildly during these transfers. And we look and try to bound what is the maximum and minimum pressures we we would expect to see in the future and if there's something looks like it could possibly be outside of a safe range then they go back and they look at the the systems and try to determine if that can be you know better managed so it's safer you know so that's one good example well that's interesting because we've been transferring fuel and refueling aircraft for a long time it's interesting that there are still things to learn and and to double check and make sure it's all safe well, there's multiple ways of transferring fuel. Um, there are, are booms, which is a, a rigid boom, and there's also drogue systems, which is kind of a, a flying hose with a connector at the end. And um, they, can also mul- they can also refuel multiple aircraft at the same time with the same tanker. Uh, so there's some complexity there. And then each aircraft has different capacity. They have different fuel flow rates that can be safely managed. So every, every single combination of receiver and tanker has to be thoroughly tested to make sure that it's going to be safe during uh, operations. So David, currently you're working, what, for the 812th Test Support Squadron, but Matrix from the 418th Combined Test Force. Are there a lot of mathematical statisticians there? Uh, we have a fair number of mathematical statisticians in the 812th, and um, generally the, the plan is to have one of the statisticians at least one uh, matrixed out to each of the CTFs to provide you know, boots on the ground support. And uh, at the 418th, there's actually two of us. Um, we have another statistician there, Michelle Willette, and she uh, has kind of pioneered the stats into that, into the 418th and done a fantastic job. And then I moved over to kind of backstop her and take off some of the workload and learn the ropes there and learn about tankers. Um, the statisticians like to focus on kind of one area of expertise and get really good at it. And then eventually we move between CTFs and learn new platforms and new technologies. When we previously spoke, you mentioned your office environment and the group collaboration that sometimes would happen in a room lined with whiteboards. Well, right now, so many of us are working at home. We're quarantined because of the COVID pandemic. How has this affected the ability of your team to meet mission requirements? What obstacles or challenges have you all had to overcome? Well, like everybody else, we pretty much have uh, relied on things like the the Teams, the Microsoft Teams or Zoom. Uh, We generally use Teams because we can do more uh, sensitive work on that since the government has their own system. Um, But yeah, we use the, uh, the collaboration features on there. We can share documents, we can share screens, we can actually sort of face-to-face and actually talk to each other. Uh, we have been doing, working on a couple different projects like that where the, the whole team has gotten together and worked live on discussions of, tech, of the techniques and stuff. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little different, but it, it seems to work pretty well for us for teleworking. It's been surprisingly uh, easy to transition to that. 
uh, obviously we miss seeing each other and you know having the normal office time but uh, in the interim you know it, until it's safe to do so this is working pretty well for us um, things have you know things have come together over the last few months and I think we've all kind of gotten into the the groove of working telework now that's great to hear, David. You know, I think we should add here that the COVID pandemic has affected you personally as you are still recovering from your own bout of COVID. Yeah, back in, uh, I guess, mid-February, I got rather ill. And this was very early in the days of the COVID pandemic before that. I think it was it was right when it first really hit and they, they weren't really sure what was going on at the time. Um, I ended up you know, multiple times the doctors getting chest x-rays and, you know, all kinds of, they basically were treating me for um, pneumonia symptoms because that's, you know, that was the major thing as I was having a really hard time breathing. And so they were trying to manage that, you know, the way they would with any other sort of uh, pneumonia thing. But it's taken me a few months and my voice is finally getting back to normal. I'm able to breathe pretty normally now. I still feel pretty weak and tired a lot of times, but I'm slowly building my stamina back up and I'm starting to feel a lot better. Um, I almost never cough anymore, so that's a good thing. Um, the actual testing uh, didn't exist when I was sick. And uh, once I finally got over it, it was probably two months after that when they came out there, the tests, the antibody tests. So I've never been officially diagnosed with COVID with a test, but my doctor was, you know, almost positive that that's what was going on and they treated me accordingly and I've recovered from it now. So fortunately I never, you know, had to be hospitalized or anything, but uh, you know, we were all, my, everyone in my family actually, we're pretty sure we all had the same thing at the same time, but my wife and my son got over it very quickly. Well, David, we're so thankful that you're on the mend and back to supporting the flight test mission where you are so valuable. And speaking of his work here at Edwards, it didn't begin in this career field. He has an interesting story, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. Our guest is Mr. David Stetson, who is a mathematical statistician with the 812th Test Support Squadron from the 418th Combined Test Force. So David, when you were a youngster, being a mathematical statistician wasn't the path you had chosen for yourself. You wanted to be a physicist. Can you tell us about that, please? As long as I can remember, I've always been really interested in physics and astronomy and mathematics. Um, primarily, I was really interested in physics um, I was very much into electronics and, um, and that sort of thing as a child as well. And I used, to, I used to build my own radios and lasers and all kinds of stuff as a kid. And uh, that was really where, where I was excited to be. It, it's kind of funny. Life just happens to you. You know, I ended up, you know, having to get a job. <laughs> and uh, the job that I, I ended up, well... When I got out of high school, I immediately wanted to go to college and I could not afford to do so. So I ended up going to a tech school and I took classes in electronics. That was the only actual official schooling I had. And the reason I did electronics was because that was something, again, I was interested in and I thought it would be, you know, a fascinating field to get into. So I learned how to, to do things like repairing computer motherboards and video cards. And before I graduated, that entire field had disappeared. Um, 
it, it, you know, basically it got to the point where, you know, you could throw away a broken video card and go buy a new one. It wasn't worth paying a technician $100 an hour to repair it anymore. So that entire field kind of disappeared. And I, what I was left with was a degree in electronics that I, you know, I could find things to do with it. But what it led into was working with computers because um, up until that point, I, you know, hobbyistically played with computers and programming. But now I actually understood the electronics at a really, really fundamental level. And so I kind of delved into the electronics and the computers and programming. And that kind of led me into my first jobs. So when you came to Edwards, was that your career field at the time? Yeah, I actually got hired on at uh, the Air Force Research Lab. Um, and I was working up there doing computers and electronics, a little bit of a mix of both, because they had these ancient computers that were handmade systems that they were using to uh, capture the data from rocket test fires and stuff. And they were very, very twitchy <laughs> <laughs> machines because they like said they were literally handmade. Um, they were unique and they were, they were many racks of equipment and all hands, handmade circuit boards and, and everything. So it was pretty fascinating. So they needed people to support those, but at the same time, this is now, this is pre-internet. Um, so at the time they were trying to figure out how to connect things um, and move data around. And so we were building networks um, before there were networks. Uh, very early on, you know, we were setting up, you know, little very primitive bridges between buildings and different pro trying out different protocols. And so we ended up wiring up the entire research lab with networks and event, which eventually turned into, you know, the network they have today, which, which is a lot more sophisticated. And so I ended up working up there primarily doing networks and computer support and, you know, your typical technician stuff that's around the base now. So, and then later on, I ended up moving to main base where I got hired on by civil engineering, who at the time actually managed the entire infrastructure for the network because they're the ones who installed all the fiber optic cables and cabling and, and all that stuff because that's what they did. And there wasn't a you know, comm squadron at the time. Uh, they just managed the radios, the LMRs and stuff. So they didn't even do computers at that time. So it's it that was that was a while ago. That was a while ago because I've been there nearly twenty years, and I can't even recall that CE had oversight of the workplace computers as you're discussing here. Um, you said that also at that time. You told me previously that every organization had its own mail server. Boy, times have certainly changed. Yeah, there was a time where each organization kind of managed its own uh, computers and network. Uh, civil engineering installed the infrastructure. And after that, each organization kind of just jumped on and did their own thing. So a lot of organizations had, you know, up to dozens of their own servers. Um, I think when, when comm squadron took over the computer in on base, I think there were something like 800 servers around base in oh my. <laughs> hundreds of locations. And so there was a huge push to consolidate everything down into data centers and manage it because there was so much redundancy. I mean, there were literally 400, I think, uh, mail servers on base and each one had, you know, very different addresses. I mean, this is before there were even firewalls on base. So everyone was connected when they had whatever organ, you know, whatever you know, URLs for their, you know, their emails, you know, some are added words, you know, some were at, you know, whatever. And they were all very different and there was no standardization. So it was a good thing that, uh, that Com took over and kind of standardized 
how we do the mission. And that is, that has helped a lot over the years. So yeah, things have changed. Yeah, no doubt. Eventually, David, you ended up becoming a DOD civilian working at Ridley Mission Control. Can you tell us what your job was at that time? Yeah, shortly after uh, civil engineering took over, I, you know, obviously I, as a, as a computer person, I ended up moving from civil engineering over to uh, the communication squadron. And at that time, um, I ended up moving over to Ridley Mission Control to support the the engineering data center there that basically the mission of the data center is to handle all of the data coming in from the tests and to, uh, you know, make sure that the data is available and safe and stored properly and backed up. And, you know, so the data center has, you know, some fairly large computer systems with lots of storage and lots of bandwidth to support, you know, to provide services out to all of the CTFs. And uh, so I ended up working over there doing that. And I was located um, in the, the Midley, or sorry, Ridley Mission Control because that's where these systems were. And the place that they found to move us to to support that was uh, into the basically the same room where the statisticians sat at the time. Oh, my goodness. Can you tell us what that was like, being in a room with statisticians? Well, it was kind of funny because we had, you know, four or five computer people and, you know, probably six or seven, you know, mathematicians and a lot of the, you know, th that wasn't daunting at all walking into that environment with, you know, sitting in a room full of PhD, you know, statisticians and mathematicians. Um, and we operated in very different worlds. I mean, obviously things intersected because, you know, the data that the statisticians were using, we were managing. So the, we had some interaction, but primarily we were doing computer things and they were doing, you know, math and stat things and we didn't really mix too much. Um, it was, it was kind of funny because when I, I think I spent the first year walking into the room and I, I'd walk in and I say good morning to everybody. And I don't think I got a response from any of the, the statisticians for probably about a year. Oh my. Because <laughs> <laughs> every day I'd walk in, I'd say good morning. And they just kind of look at me like, Mm, one of the computer guys. <laughs> so it was, a little, it was a little difficult breaking the ice at the time. Because you were in the same room with the statisticians, you had to sit through some of their meetings discussing missions, issues, and so forth. Unknown to you at this time, things were about to happen as a result of those meetings that changed your life and your career path. Yeah, uh, I used to sit about probably 10 feet from their conference room, you know, table where they would, you know, people, scientists and engineers would come in and sit down with the statisticians and discuss problems. And uh, I remember there was a lot of times when, you know, I was just, just kind of sitting there doing my work, but I would be listening to these conversations, which were, you know, frankly, pretty fascinating. You know, there were all kinds of, there was all kinds of talk about, you know, how air flows through jet engines at high altitudes and, you know, just, I mean, some really amazing things that I got to listen to. And, I remember one day I was sitting there, it was like, so it was probably about a year after I'd been in the room, I was sitting there and there was a bunch of people hovered around the table and they were talking about this very specific physics problem to do with, you know, how these fuel flow through these jet engines. And, um, you know, they were trying to figure out some equation, some physics equation, I don't recall exactly what it was, but, you know, I remember Dr. Kiddo who ran the stats department at the time. He's like, Hey, does anyone know this equation? And you know, everyone's sitting at tables like, ah, I don't remember. I don't remember. So mm -hmm. I, I remember I knew what the equation was because I, you know, physics was kind of my hobby. And so I, I said, Oh, it's, it's this. And uh, Dr. Kiddo was like, well, how do you know that? And it's like, Oh, 
lab. I studied physics and he's like, oh, okay. And so they went on and they did their meeting. And then after the meeting, he came over and he just, just grilled me, you know, <laughs> he, did. he just, he was, he was just asking questions like, how do you know that? I, like, like, what have you studied? Where did you go to school? And it's like, oh, I never went to school. I just studied this on my own. And, you know, well, how did you know that specific equation? And I told him, oh, I, I'd studied this, this kind of, you know, to, you know, this kind of physics before. And, and, uh, and he started asking me, well, what do you know about math? And how did you study that? And it was very funny. You know, it's like he was, he was very serious. I mean, he, he, he really wanted to know. Um, he was, I think he was surprised that, you know, the computer guys, any of them wouldn't, would actually know anything. Um, the funny thing is, is that a computer scientist, you know, position is not fundamentally different in requirements from a mathematician position. So <laughs> I think he was surprised to find that out. So, um, but like I said, I had never actually been to school other than one tech school. I'd never gone to university. So most of what I knew at that time was, was self-taught. So after that point though, uh, Dr. K would occasionally, you know, come over and ask me questions about, Hey, what do you know about this? Or what do you think about this problem? Or how would you approach this? And, you know, one day he actually, uh, said, hey, I have this, you know, they, they, they had been talking at the conference table about a problem. And it was a very complicated, higher dimensional, you know, talking about 26 dimensional mathematics. And he and, and the engineers had been trying to solve this. And they were, they were, they'd spent a long time working on this problem. And they came up with an answer. And when they got to the end, it didn't make any sense. And so I know while listening to this, I was kind of chuckling to myself. It's like, yeah, it's never going to work what they're trying to do. <laughs> and I guess Dr. K had noticed my expression when I was sitting there listening. And so he came over and he's like, all right, Mr. Smarty Pants, what do you, what do you, what do you think you know about this? And so I said, well, I don't think what they would do, they would do would work period just because it doesn't make sense. And he said, well, how would you approach it? And so I kind of explained it to him and he's like, great, solve that. Uh, he's like, I'd really like to see what you come up with for solving that problem. And so he gave me a data set and said, here, see if you can figure this out. And so I spent probably a week working on it and came up with a solution and showed it to him. And within 10 minutes, he had, you know, 12 engineers standing around my desk, <laughs> having me explain wow. to them what I'd solved. Cause he's like, yep, you nailed, I think you nailed it. And so the, the guy who was running that program said, I'm going to send you some data and you to give me the answer out of these, you know, eight or 10 data sets. And so I ran him through my process and sent him the data or sent him the answers. And then he came over and he's like, okay, I want your code. I want you to explain to me exactly how you solve this, because this, this is the answers you got made sense to what we were expecting based on the data we had, unlike our answer. So, so he wanted to uh, know how I did it. So I sat down and worked through all that with them. And I guess, you know, they and Dr. K were, were impressed to the point where, you know, they started encouraging me to, you know, they're like, man, you really need to go to school. <laughs> you really need to get a degree and actually learn this stuff. <laughs> Cause they, you know, they, they believed I had the ability to learn that sort of, uh, you know, at a higher, at a deeper level. So. And now at age 50, David and his family had a tough decision to make about his career and the work ahead. We'll talk about that in a moment. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. Our guest is Mr. David Stetson, who is a mathematical statistician with the 812th Test Support Squadron from the 418th Combined Test Force. 
So David, you decided to go to school online at the same time you were still working full time. When we previously spoke, you said it was very challenging three years for you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I really wanted to go to school and I really wanted to attend uh, school in person, but there was no way I could do that. Um, I have a family and I have to support them and obviously be able to eat and that sort of thing. And I had a good job and I did not want to, you know, quit my job and put myself into that kind of financial position. So I started looking at other options and I found that, you know, that there are a fair number of schools that do online degrees. But I have spoken to a lot of people who've taken online degrees and I was a little concerned that I was just going to spend a whole lot of money and end up with a diploma at the end and not much knowledge in the middle. So I did a lot of research and I eventually found a school that looked like they had a real programming. Their online program was exactly the same thing they were teaching in their classrooms. Um, and the, the instructors were all pretty much PhD instructors that really knew their stuff. And so, you know, my wife and I discussed it at great length and, you know, figured out, you know, that it, this four-year degree was going to take me probably close to four years. Um, and that's a huge burden on my family because I would be doing this, um, working full time. You know, I, I, like everybody else at Edwards, I get up at six in the morning and, or, or five, five in the morning and, you know, hit the road by six to get there by seven and then, you know, get off work and get home just in time for dinner. And, you know, so there's not a huge amount of family time. Um, and, and at the time I had a, uh, a baby. So, you know, it was, it was really a rough decision to just jump in and do full-time school with full-time work. Um, but that's what we ended up doing is I ended up enrolling and I spent three years. And when I got home from work, I would eat dinner, spend a little bit of time with my family and get my son to bed. And then I'd start doing my school that usually started about nine o'clock and I'd finish somewhere between midnight or one in the morning. And I did that for three years wow. <laughs> every day. Um, weekends, I usually worked six to eight hours on the weekends, um, every day on the weekends. Um, holidays, I usually at least checked in to make sure I was on track with school. I didn't miss anything because, you know, they had pretty strict deadlines for things. So, um, yeah, so I was, I was in there all the way, just really dove in and just kind of did it. And, uh, it was, it was rough going, but it was, it was well worth it. It was very rewarding learning all the stuff officially that I kind of played around with and, you know, obviously learning a lot of new things as well. So, you know, you told me the last time we talked that at one point, the Dean of the school contacted you, wanted you to know how were you getting all this stuff done working and still pulling high grades? Yeah, it was kind of funny. They, they, I mean, obviously, because this school has a huge online contingent, and they've been doing online school for a very long time, and they were they were pretty well polished at it. But they'd always had a, a fairly high, you know, dropout rate, um, or people that just did not could not do well. On, and there's some people just don't do well in that environment. And uh, and I was getting really good grades, and I was always on time with my assignments, and I you know I never once had to you know call anybody and say, oh, I'm not going to be able to get this assignment in on time or get an extension or whatever. And, and I did, I did, it was doing really well. And, uh, and yeah, they were there, I guess the school was putting together some kind of a, a little flyer for new students, you know, things that will be helpful information or something. And so the Dean was like, you know, how are you doing this? How are you getting such good grades? What is your secret? And, uh, 
And I kind of, I, 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 I was honest with him. I said, you know, the, the reason I'm getting good grades is because I don't care about my grades. I'm not here for a grade. I'm here to learn. And, and I really need to learn this. You know, I'm trying to get a new job. I'm trying to change careers. And if I learn it just as a nice side effect, I end up getting a good grade out of it. And uh, I said, you know, just worrying about the grade, wasn't it? And I told him my, my secret is just get in, you know, make sure you're doing something every day. I told him on Christmas morning, I got up and I checked my schedule to make sure that I didn't have anything that I needed to do. You know, I was like literally every single day of my life, I'm in the system and checking and, and doing some work, even if it was just, you know, I'm going to go read this one article that I need to read or this paper, you know, I'd at least do one thing every single day. And so I just kept, you know, plugging away at it. And that was my secret. So David, time goes by and you're still working for the comm squadron and going to school. And now you're at the point where you're a few weeks away from getting that degree and your phone rings. Yeah. So I was probably, probably five or six weeks before I was actually, you know, slated to finish my degree program. And I did get a phone call from the, uh, the flight chief for the stat department. And he, he had said, Hey, I was just wondering where you are in your degree. Cause we have a couple positions that are coming open. And so I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm like weeks away from getting my degree. And so he was like real excited. He's like, Oh, this is perfect timing. Cause you know, obviously hiring with the government is never something that happens overnight. So, <laughs> so we had time. So basically he was just like, well, yeah, as soon as you can, you know, get me your transcripts and, you know, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do about, you know, fitting you to one of these positions that's coming open. Sitting in the same room with the statisticians, I, I had worked with them before. So he knew, he knew who I was, he knew that I was going to school. Um, during my time of actually getting my degree, the comm squadron had moved me out of Ridley. So I was no longer sitting in that area at all. And so for a few years, probably you know, more than two years, I was sort of out of that environment completely, which honestly was probably a good thing because then I could really focus on my school. And, um, and it also kind of took me out of the environment of the mathematician. So I couldn't sort of cheat and ask questions. You know, I had to figure out things on my own and really learn it better. I think um, <laughs> every once in a while I'd hit him up, Hey, I have this really complicated problem. How would you approach this? But you know, I never tried to, uh, I know I tried not to, not to, not to do that any more than I absolutely needed to, but it, it was kind of a, it was kind of nice. What an amazing journey for you. You know, David, looking back, are you glad you took the tough road at age 50 and got your degree? And also what got you through that journey? Oh, I'll tell you, it was not an easy decision. Um, Cause you know, that is, I, I had been working in the computer science field from the time basically I got out of high school until, you know, age 50, you know, for a very long time. Um, I was at the top of my game. I was working at ComSquad. I was managing a small team. Uh, we worked on some fairly complicated systems and it was, it was a good job and it was an interesting job. And I really liked, you know, what I was doing. However, I had been doing it for a very, very, very long time. And I kept looking at myself and saying, you know, what am I, where do I want to be in you know, 10 years, 20 years. Um, what do I want to do between now and when I retire? And I just couldn't imagine just doing the same job that I had been doing for the last, you know, basically 30 years for another 20 years. And I was, or 15 or 20 years. And I was like, no, I, I, it's, I, I, I'm the kind of person who really likes to learn new things. And so 
when I decided to do school, like I said, not an easy decision, but once I started, you know, one, it was a, a huge investment in my time. It was also a huge investment in money. Um, and so I was committed. I was very committed to, to making the best of this and I couldn't go through all that and then not succeed, you know? And so I did have a little bit of drive there. I had a lot of good reasons for wanting to, uh, to learn. And I was also enjoying myself. I mean, I love learning new things. Um, any day where I can learn something new, it's a good day. So, I mean, that, that helped a lot. My family supporting me was a huge thing that helped me get through that as well, because there were times when I was just exhausted and, and I just didn't think I could just take it anymore. It was like, I need a break, you know, and they would just encourage me. My wife was super supportive. She was amazing. I really couldn't have done it without her. Um, and, uh, and so I finally, you know, I got there and I, and I'm happy I did. It was, it was well worth it. I would highly recommend to anyone, um, that they consider that, you know, if, if, you know, it's, it's very cliche. They say, well, if you don't take, start your degree now, where will you be in four years? And, you know, there's, there's truth in that, you know, if you do nothing, nothing's going to change, but if you, you know, if you go get that degree, maybe you get that degree and stay in the same spot, but it sure opens a whole lot of new interest in your life and a whole lot of new opportunities. So well worth, well worth the effort, even at age 50. Well, David, as you just said, you are a person who enjoys learning new things. With that said, what's on the horizon for you? Well, right now I'm kind of early in my career. Um, I actually have been with the Stats Group um, a couple days past my actual my two-year uh, anniversary with the Stats Group officially as a statistician. So I'm I've, I'm new in the career. I'm learning a lot of stuff. Um, not only am I kind of learning to hone my skills with stats, but in order to support the platforms, I really need to understand what they're attempting to do. You know, I need to understand what are they you know, what makes sense? If I'm looking at data, you know, does this make sense? Because there's physics, there's engineering, there's a lot of stuff going on um, in those, in the aircraft or the systems that, that are fairly complex. And so I spend a lot of time with the engineers um, early on in, in each test plan, we sit down and we discuss, you know, each of the things they're trying to solve. And, you know, I ask a lot of questions and I'm learning a lot about, you know, electro optics and mechanics and you know, the electronic systems. And, you know, there's, there's just a huge amount of a huge breadth of knowledge out there with the engineers and they're amazing at, you know, sharing that information. They're, they're excited to, uh, to show what they, what they do, you know, what, what their expertise is. And so it's really fun working with them. And I, and every day, you know, I go in and I learn more about, these really complicated systems and that is applicable in a wide range of things. It's funny how problems from one field can be, be very applicable to another field. And uh, most people working in the engineering, they're, they're focused on very specific areas. And as statisticians, we work with every one of the disciplines and we work with a lot of different kinds of problems and we work with every platform. So every one of the aircraft and systems out there. So we, we see, we kind of a bigger picture, a lot of stuff than a lot of people do. And so we can start kind of sharing that information between the different CTFs and how to solve problems. So every day I learn new things. And right now I'm really enjoying learning about the, uh, the tankers and their systems and, you know, working with the, the new presidential aircraft that's being built. 
um, that's under the 418th as well. And so we're, we're really going through those whole systems and making sure that, you know, that plane is going to be fully functional and safe and able to operate exactly the way they need it to. So every day, new stuff to learn. Well, David, I can't thank you enough for your time and sharing your inspirational story with us. It's truly inspiring. Before you leave, though, can you please share one more thing with us? Tell us what it means to you to work here at Edwards at the Center of the Aerospace Testing Universe. Oh, that's actually pretty easy to answer for me because I have worked at a few places. And the one thing I can say about working at Edwards is that every day I wake up and I'm excited to go to work because I have really cool stuff to work on. Um, the work I do is meaningful. I really feel like, you know, the things that we're doing are making America safer. They're making the world a better place. And uh, it's, it's important to me and a lot of people, I'm sure, to feel like they're contributing in some way and not just, you know, showing up and going through the grind. And like I said, when you wake up every morning and you go, oh God, I gotta go to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a fun way to live your life and uh when you get up every morning and you go oh we got this flight that's going on today i can't wait to go you know take a look at the data you know see what's going on there um that's kind of exciting and and that's that's Im important to me and i and and the work that edwards does for the testing um we it, it helps our troops it helps protect our country it helps like i said it, it just makes things safer for everybody. You know, um, one of the big things that uh, I've worked on recently was target location errors where we have weapon systems and we try to uh, make them as accurate as possible because if we can accurately hit a target, we don't have to worry about accidentally, you know, hitting things we don't want to or, you know, collateral damage kind of stuff. And so by working on that sort of thing and fine-tuning those systems, we can make things a lot safer. And uh, that's important to me to protect our troops and to protect the civilians. And, you know, that's why it's important to me to work here. Many thanks to today's guest, Mr. David Stetson, for taking time out to share his story and taking us beyond the test. Thanks to all for joining us. I'm Dawn Waldman for Edwards Beyond the Test. <laughs>